You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Everybody ready to be blessed whether you like it or not? Sorry, it's my job. Um, one, of the, one of the interesting things is this, uh, this past week I had this little... Um, um, a little time with these other pastors, and it was one of the most remarkable. Um, I'm not a big pastors meeting fan because I think uh, so often it becomes about who's doing what next, and will everybody else come do it? And but this was not like that. Um, every pastor told their story, and you would be amazed at how heartbroken. And the difficulties every single person in that room had gone through. And um, the interesting thing is, um, my, um, what would you call it? My bias is joy, victory, faith, etc., etc. But not to the exclusion of needing to really process uh, the things that you've gone through. You know, there is a really a legitimate place um, where you have a, a period of lamentations or just grief. You deal with it because if you don't deal with the reality of your emotions, you can't let your emotions rule you, but you can't deny the things that you've gone through because ultimately it will it will hurt you. And so it was really just refreshing to hear the honesty that was coming from all the guys that, that that were in that meeting. And it was even more remarkable to hear the stories of how they had overcome, even though they had these legit, difficult, difficult um, situations. All kind of, I mean, loss of life. Um, it was unbelievable. Um one of my friends in his church, someone had just been murdered in the night, and they don't know to this reason why. Actually, Andy Squires, uh, Andy and his family lived through that whole episode. Uh, just amazing, amazing things that the people of God go through. Another um, uh, pastor was married, his wife seven months pregnant, and a drunk driver um, hits him. And his wife and his unborn child don't make it. And, but you know, he's still serving God. I don't mean just being a Christian. He's still leading people to Jesus because he's found Jesus to be the answer in all of these different ways. And so we are really called to, we're called to lives of victory, but not to the ignoring of what has really gone on in our lives. And so when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about Joseph. And this is a little bit of um, a part two. Uh, this second message I've spoken on Joseph. And um, he is the poster child of a person who had been terribly mistreated, terribly lied against, unrighteously accused, stripped naked, Humiliated, sold as a slavery, embarrassed beyond amazement, 
And he found a way not to just get through that, but to come through it with a victorious, redemptive, grace-oriented attitude. And I think there is so much we can take from, from the life of Joseph. It's a revelatory picture of what God wants to do for every one of us who have had dreams, felt like those dreams were gone, only to discover if we stayed the course, God would simply refine the dream and refine the dreamer so that when we got to where we were dreaming, we would, that's not good English, where our dreams were fulfilled, we would be capable of standing in that place. And that's what we see in Psalm 105, verse 17 through 22, talking about Joseph And God's perspective would be a little bit different from ours, and so we need to pay attention. But the Bible says in verse 17, God, or he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, what did the word of the Lord do? Tested him. Now, we, we think being tested is bad. I mean, how many of you were happy when it was time to take a test in school? Nobody, except, except those extremely smart people that mess the curve up for the rest of us. But basically, nobody. But the idea behind being tested is, in this case, for God to determine if a person can bear what he wants to give them. Do you hear what I'm saying? So he's testing, but the testing is not like a condemnatory or a judgmental thing. It's actually a redemptive thing, taking someone through a process of testing to see if they can pass these tests and stand in the place God's called them. And this is not just spiritual. I mean, it's not just um, like for preaching or... No, it's, it's all of life. Because our lives are not half secular, half spiritual. No, we're just living life. And so that really spoke to me. The word of the Lord tested him until his, uh, the time that his word came to pass. And so we see this in Psalm 105 that Joseph was sent. This is a little bit of review. Said a little bit more about this last week. But God, Joseph was sent. Well, it doesn't look to me like he was sent. And I know when Joseph was getting sent, it didn't look like he was being sent either. But God's analysis of our lives is different from our own. He sees from a higher perspective. We see oftentimes from a humanistic perspective. God sees from a kingdom perspective. And the sooner we can raise our vision higher, the easier it will be maybe to understand some of the things that go on in our lives. But mention this, at the time, Joseph didn't feel like God was sending him. It felt painful. Do you know why it felt painful? Because it was. It felt like trauma because it was. Nevertheless, when it was all, so, so to speak, said and done, 
Even Joseph agreed with God's perspective. He would say things like this to his brothers. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. God sent me ahead to preserve your lives. And that is a remarkable picture of someone coming into such a redemptive posture, such a redemptive lifestyle, that it, to me it's just a huge, huge encouragement. So, No matter what man does, God can transform it, redeem it, and use it for our good. Romans 8, 28, a number of different verses. Several verses in the, in the book of Romans. Now, Joseph was a dreamer, and you can't afford to let your dreams die. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, Where there is no prophetic vision, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. And one of the things I've seen with young, zealous, inspired Christians is when things don't turn out the way they think they're going to turn out, they cast off restraint. They don't live right anymore. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They really do. They just go the way of the world because of their their disappointment. But Proverbs 29, 18 here actually says where there is no vision, no prophetic vision, no revelation for your life, people cast off restraint. But then it says, but blessed is he who keeps the law. And we see this in um, Joseph's life. One of the ways Joseph kept his dream alive was he maintained a high standard of righteousness. He resisted temptation. He honored God by living a holy life. Now you have to remember if you know the history of Israel, how many of you are familiar with the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments were 400 years after Joseph lived. Do you realize that? Joseph didn't have Ten Commandments. You know what Joseph had? He had an innate sense of right and wrong. And he knew sexual immorality was wrong. And when he was tempted... And he was sorely tempted. We find this in Genesis 39, 7 through 9. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, now his master's wife, Joseph, was working in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was actually the um, basically captain of the guard, head of the CIA for Pharaoh, however you want to put it. He had bought Joseph as a slave, put him in his house, and Joseph became overseer of all that Potiphar had. But it came after, uh, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. She tried to, uh, draw him into sexual immorality. But he refused and he said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin? And so Joseph maintained his integrity. And I think that's important. It really is. Now, how else did Joseph continue to move forward in the face of adversity? I think that's a really important question because I, I think it's multi-layered. I don't think there was just one thing. One way he moved forward was he maintained his moral integrity. Everybody hear that? 
Why don't we say that together? Maintains moral integrity. He knew thou shalt not commit adultery 400 years before it was made an official rule. (laughs) He just knew it. He knew that was wrong. So, were there other factors that enabled Joseph to endure until he could fulfill the ultimate vision for his life? Yes. Here's the next one. He served. He served. One of the keys to Joseph's ability to endure and prevail was that he chose to serve in whatever adverse circumstance he found himself in. Mentioned Potiphar in Potiphar's house, we find in Genesis 39, 1 through 4. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Let's say that together. And served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So in Potiphar's house, Joseph served. Well, then you find the whole episode with Potiphar's wife, the false accusation, and what happens to Joseph. On top of everything else that has happened to him, the false accusation puts him in prison. We find this in Genesis 41 through 4, and it's very interesting, the attitude Joseph adopted even in prison. Verse 1 of Genesis 40, it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker and the king of Egypt offered their Lord, the king of Egypt. Offended, sorry. That didn't even make sense to me because I read it wrong. I read it wrong out loud. I'm glad I was listening. (laughs) Offended their Lord and the king of Egypt. The Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, with who? The butler and the baker. And what did Joseph do? And he served them. Although Joseph was in charge, although the entire prison was under his authority, yet when Pharaoh imprisoned the chief butler and the chief baker, Joseph adopted a posture of actually serving those two prisoners. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. Um, Now, faithfulness in serving is the key to promotion and being trusted with favor. The attitude of heart sustained Joseph until the time came for the ultimate fulfillment of his dream 22 years earlier. It's almost like Joseph said, well, I'm in this mess. What's the best I can do? And you've got to recognize, we'll look at this maybe a little bit later. He would not yield to self-pity. Instead, he gave it whatever he had to be productive and redemptive in whatever situation he found himself in. And Jesus actually addresses this in Luke 16, 10 through 12. 
He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you your trust, the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? And you see Joseph really proved that out in every one of these circumstances. No matter how negative they looked, no matter how defeated he could have felt, that was what he set his heart to do. So think of Joseph's sorrows. Yeah. Let's compare notes. Let's see whose life has been harder, yours or Joseph's. And somebody's in here could be harder. I don't know. Hated by his brothers, conspired to kill him, stripped naked and sold, shackled and chained, lied to their father, his brothers did, about his death, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, put in prison, and we know he was in prison for a minimum of two years because the uh, butler actually forgot about him for two years, two full years. So that was two full years after he'd been there a while. Have you been for, how about being forgotten? There's someone that can get you out of their mess. All they'd have to do is remember. You have to go read that. It's really interesting. Put in prison, interpreted Butler's dream, still forgotten for two more years. Yet one of the ways he made it through all of this is that attitude in his heart of serving. In Joseph's life, blessing often followed his commitment to serve. I remember Bill Johnson said one time, he was never called a youth ministry, but when he was in this church, they needed a, a youth pastor in a certain situation. So he decided, oh, I think I'll do that. And he did it. And then he found out, then the person that was supposed to be in that spot arose. So then they needed somebody to man the bookstore. He managed the bookstore. But what Bill was talking about was he found ways he could serve. Not not even serve in the ways that he was ultimately called to. But in Joseph's life, blessings seemed to follow his commitment to practically serve in whatever environment, situation he found himself in. And none of them were encouraging ones. So what does favor look like? It usually first appears as an opportunity to serve one another. I've got... Uh, I went through the uh, New Testament and um, outlined all the one another verses. Has any, any of you ever done that? Just to see what it is we should, how we should relate to one another. Romans twelve ten through 13, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Here's a great one. Nobody wants this one. Patient in tribulation. I recommend nobody ever asking God for patience. I have plenty. I do not probably, but I'm not asking for more. No, tribulation works 
patience, patient in tribulation, continually, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. A couple of other, other one another verses. Romans fourteen thirteen. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. Anybody need to repent? But rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. That's what it is to serve the body of Christ, to recognize each individual member as Jesus, the body of Christ. Galatians 5.13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Let me just throw this one in. This is a great, Galatians 5.15 is a great verse for our day. But if you bite and devour one another, any, any biting and devouring going on in our culture right now, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And you will be consumed if that's your mode of operation, biting and devouring, going after one another. Um, let's, I'll read this one, and then I'll make one more point. Then I'm going to invite um, Thomas Torrey to come. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, let me identify one more factor. And it's not the only one that contributed to Joseph's ability to overcome. So I did say, was there a third factor that contributed to Joseph's ability to overcome? How else did Joseph endure until this word came to pass? He refused to identify as a victim. Looked like a victim to me. Looked like a victim to me. But he refused to identify as a victim. He refused to succumb to self-pity. He refused to feel sorry for himself. Now, that's a tough one. But it's one more thing we have to overcome. And here's why. Actually, Donna was telling me she heard Bill Johnson say this lately. He was exhorting believers in his church to refuse to allow accusations against God in their hearts. And that, that's, that's a real word because accusations against God, self-pity, being a victim blinds you and it ultimately leads to jealousy. Can anybody see what I'm saying here? How, how would victim mentality, self-pity lead you to jealousy? Well, I'm a victim and uh, I'm feeling sorry for myself, but look at this person. Why are they blessed? Right? I had a friend that was a great spiritual father to me. He passed away six or seven years ago. How many of you ever heard of the idea of a deathbed confession? Deathbed confession, 
what you say on your deathbed, pretty much going to be the most honest thing you may have ever said in your whole life. And it's not absolute, but he had a deathbed warning. He said one of the great dangers of our times was jealousy. He said that jealousy will hinder the fulfillment of our calling and destiny. Can you hear that? Jealousy. He said jealousy is the lining. Have you ever gotten a a cheap coat and the lining was scratchy and made you uncomfortable? Have you ever gotten a really nice coat with a smooth, silk, nice lining? that made you comfortable. Well, he said, jealousy is the lining of the coat of hatred because it makes you comfortable temporarily in something you should have absolutely nothing to do with. Jealousy is like second cousin to bitterness. I don't know how you put all this together, but there's this whole thing of victim mentality, self-pity, jealousy, Hatred. Jealousy is the open door to hatred. Now, I thought about the, the um, thou shalt not covet, one of the Ten Commandments. Well, that's in sense an attitude could be inspired by jealousy. We think, okay, we broke a law, we get punished. No, no, it's not so much that you get punished. It's when you give into something like jealousy, it blinds you. You no longer see accurately. There are people you should appreciate, you criticize, and people you criticize, you should appreciate. Did that make sense? No, you don't see accurately. Um, One of the keys to receiving favor that you do not yet have is to appreciate the favor on someone else's life that you might be tempted to be critical of. I'm serious. It's the devil's way of keeping you. You being jealous is the devil's way of keeping you from everything in your heart you have been called to. And and it's the place of people need to repent from all of this. And I'm not going to have an altar call. I think you're grown up enough. If you're convicted in your heart, if you feel any of these things touch you, it's not up to me to 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 uh, to really do that. Maybe it is. I don't know, but. If, if God's speaking to you, you need to, you need to talk to him about it. And see, one of the problems with all this is it makes you insensitive to the Lord. Jeremiah, and I'm, I'm going to close with this, and I'm going to invite Thomas. Thomas, if you'll come on. Jeremiah 17 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. This is what happens when you allow all these things in your life. For he should be like what? A shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. See, good came, but you didn't see it because of how your vision had been affected by your heart attitudes. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to release Thomas Torrey. Has the Lord spoken to anyone through this this morning? Good, good. Well, we pray, Lord, touch our hearts. Bring us to the place where all of these things can be rooted out that keep us from your best. And, Father, that we ask that you would bless Thomas as he shares communion with us. 
and ministers to us. Amen. Amen. Last week, when I led, I encouraged us to lean into the physical, tactile, material messiness of communion. This week, I want to invite us to lean into the mystery. The mystery of humanity and deity coming together. The mystery of what we don't know, what we don't see. Life's a mystery. Think of the wildfires. Think of the experiences of these pastors and our fellow churches that Robin mentioned. The tragedy. The pandemic. The life of Joseph. Life's a mystery. And faith is leaning into that mystery. Finding peace in that mystery. Surrendering our certainty. And so as we partake in communion, I invite us to lean into the mystery of the body and the blood being broken. Being ever eaten but never consumed. Our humanity being joined to his deity. Amen. Let's just prepare our hearts. And if the Lord is pressing on you, if you have that conviction from what Robin was saying, surrender and just uh, listen to this prayer. This is an ancient prayer. This prayer is hundreds of years old. And just let it be our prayer this morning. Almighty God, unto you all hearts are open. All desires known. And from you, no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify you through Christ our Lord. And Lord, we confess we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. We've done it by our fault and by our own fault. And we don't grovel in guilt. We don't hide in shame. But through our prayer of confession, Lord, we repent. And through the miracle, the mystery of forgiveness, we are freed. What a mystery. Freed from sin. Freed from shame. Church, our sins are forgiven. Our stains are washed. Whatever we've done, whatever we've left undone, his mercies are new every morning. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. If you don't have your elements, there are some out in the hall, but hopefully you all have them. This water is poured into this cup, the chalice of salvation. Recalling the water which flowed from the side of the Son of God. May the mingling of this water and wine, which are now inseparable, remind us that Christ is being joined to our humanity and our humanity is being joined to his deity, never to be separated. Remember the tense of that. This isn't Christ has been joined to our humanity. It's Christ is being joined. It's present. It is happening. It is always happening right now. Go ahead and take your bread. 
On the night he was betrayed, he took bread in his hands and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this as a remembrance for me. Go ahead and eat the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. Likewise, after they had eaten, he took the cup and he said, drink, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance for me. The blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. May we enter our week living in the mystery of that, of that miracle, body, blood, our humanity, his deity, the body and blood inside us and among us. I'll close with the same benediction that I did last week from Numbers chapter six. But today I'd, I'd like to sing it over us. <clears throat> Forgive a rusty tenor. <clears throat> Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Sing one more time. If you know it, join it. The Lord bless you. And keep you, make his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you, and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve you. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.